Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. We're back with a new episode. Very excited to have my guest, uh, Kristen Buchanan, who's the CEO and founder of Edify. Kristen, welcome. Thank you so much, Dan. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. We were talking before recording. Now, we connected a year or two ago, just, uh, you know, I, I can't remember through who, through, through who, but it's really cool to see the progress of your company. So we'll get into that. But let's just first start about, you know, learning about yourself and the origin story of Edify. Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think Portland is one of those strange places where it's actually a really small world. And yeah. so if you know sort of a few people, maybe on LinkedIn or Twitter, you end up knowing a lot of other cool people, uh, which is mm-hmm. probably what happened. Um, so what I'll say is uh, I actually, to just make it confusing, I used to run a different company called Edify, um, and I have since closed my first company. So I actually started that first company in 2014, and I was a learning and development consultant for technology companies all over the world. Uh, and I specialized in software engineering onboarding, actually. And I, it's a long story short, but several mentors of mine, in particular, Luke Canise, who's the founder of Puppet, really yeah. challenged me in 2018 to start thinking about my process as a possible software project. And... I kind of ignored that for a while and then eventually got really interested in the idea because I was getting frustrated with continuing to have to solve the same problem over and over again um, for different organizations. And so in the, the fall of 2019, I really started to think about what this might look like as software and eventually decided to close up the old business and pull some money out to bootstrap a new business. Um, We had some good name recognition, so I decided to keep the name, uh, but opened up a a totally new business and uh, built an MVP with my early sort of skeleton team, Um, basically had bribed my director of uh, product, Jamie Rabenberg. Um, she was also kind of a, a product manager formerly of Smarsh here in Portland. Oh, yeah. And um, basically, you know, was, you know, we were very, very bootstrapped um, in early 2020. Um, but we were able to to ship an MVP and a, a get some beta customers in the summertime. And uh, we kind of got off to the races. So that's the, the sort of TLDR um, yeah. of the Logan story. Well, let's break it. I, I want to unpack that because there's a couple of things I think are really interesting, especially making the shift from really consultant slash service to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's tech company. Um, so let's talk about Edify and what's, what, what does it do? What does the platform, you know, help folks with? 
Yeah, so Edify is an AI platform that allows engineering managers to build technical onboarding plans and deploy them for their teams and new hires automatically. And Eddie is the the name of the bot that we have built. And Eddie sits inside of Slack and actually leads an engineering manager and a new hire through an onboarding experience uh, through their first 30 days. And Eddie can actually support that new hire by answering questions, connecting them with subject matter experts and buddies and people to help them. And it will help the manager understand how that new hire is doing and if they need any support. And we're actually today working on expanding that platform beyond onboarding. So it will support the whole team on a variety of other knowledge and collaboration needs within engineering. So this is interesting because I mean, you probably took your years of experience kind of the other side of things to to do this. So did you always have an idea of like, I want to build this platform like this since you're really doing the work already? Um, so how did no, that? No, kind of- actually, I, I didn't have this idea. I actually had a pretty negative opinion of venture funding and a pretty, you know, I had kind of sort of written off the idea of building software. I thought, to be really frank, I kind of thought yeah. I was a better business because I was a consultant. And I also was a little bit afraid, actually, to be really honest, of, of running a software company. Um, even some of the companies that I had consultant, consulted for over the years, I could see challenges that they had faced um, in, in starting and running and growing and scaling their businesses. And I didn't feel qualified to actually deal with some of those challenges. And it actually took mentors like Luke and Matt Ellis uh, to sort of say, you're that's, that's ridiculous. You could probably work through this and we can help mm-hmm. you and other people will help you. And um, there's no reason you shouldn't try to make software out of this because if you have this repetitive problem, it's a good indicator that there's some sort of automated solution that could be software to solve it. Right. How was that? shift for you knowing you had these mentors like giving you really encouraging advice but ultimately you're the one who's running the business because it is a hard shift to make uh, it is yeah it, right? it was a so how- thing. i mean i would call 2019 my transition year because to be honest i i had actually i was getting burnt out of my old business i was getting tired i was traveling a lot to visit clients um i was there, there were some sort of ramifications in my personal life that were challenging and, you know, it was making good money. And I, I mean, it, on all accounts, from all accounts, it was a great business. Yeah. Um, I had some employees, I had great contractors and great logos of companies um, and, and actually really enjoyed working with my customers. But it was it, basically an agency is very hard to grow. You can either start charging a lot more money right. or you get bigger as an agency to, to support more smaller price projects. And they are very susceptible to economic downturns. And I really didn't want to start having to deal with that as I uh, was sort of looking out at the next 18 months in early 20, 2019 and thinking, I don't know, you know, we're probably in for something at this time um, and was getting kind of burnt out. And and so I tried to ease that transition for myself. I actually took a six-week sabbatical starting in August of 2019. And I, uh, back in the world pre-COVID, when you could travel, I went to Southeast Asia. I was, you know, privileged to be able to do that and kind of unplugged. I handed my business to my team, the consulting business, and I said, you know, everything's pretty much running. I took a few client meetings at three in the morning, uh, mm-hmm. Cambodia time, mm-hmm. and pretty much just unplugged. And uh, I sketched out, I took a notebook and I sketched out 
what I thought the software could look like and what problems I had with my own service, what was not working, what was working really well, what did people like me for, you know, why why would people hire me, why were they enjoying the work, um, and tried to think about that in terms of product requirements and user requirements. And so I think um, making that personal transition, having the sabbatical, the time to, to do that was helpful. And then when I got back, uh, back, got back to Portland, I realized, you know, I just need to make the leap. I have to jump to do this and I will figure out how to make it happen. Um, hmm. There's a lot more that went into that, but that's the, the sort of yeah. how it happened overview. Oh my gosh, Christian, we can, we can really dive into this because it's super interesting and it's really, I think, brave in a lot of ways that you had a successful business. I mean, you were doing well, you liked what you did. So uh, we'll just ask me one more question on this, we'll move on. But I think it's really helpful for people that are kind of in that service provider uh, gig right now. You know, you had to shut this business down, shut the, you know, let your clients know, use contractors. Um, how was this? knowing that you're going to move into this next phase uh, of, of the company, even though it's you know totally new. How was that? I mean, that's gotta be pretty difficult, especially when nothing was really broken, I guess, in a sense, right? Yeah, I wouldn't, I would not say that anything was broken. I would say absolutely. That was a scary transition. And, um, I have always had this sort of rabid belief that success is inevitable and you just have to do intelligent, hard work to get there. And, um, there's obviously complexities to that. And I'm grateful yeah. to have built an awesome network. And, and one of the things that gave me a lot of, uh, I guess, faith, if you will, that I could make this happen is I had inadvertently over the last seven years, you know, probably, you know, at the time, eight years since I had moved to Portland, built a network of customers and of mentors and people who actually were angel investors. I didn't even realize that they were investors um, in some yeah. cases. Um, and, that, that there was going to be a sort of a landing. I would not call it soft landing um, because the business that I run now is far more complex and challenging and fast moving. I, I was mm-hmm. saying to somebody the other day, like a day in this business is a week in a service business and a week is a month and you get the picture. Um, in a yeah. tech company, in a startup like this, it is far more challenging. I have never done uh, anything with my life that is as challenging as this work is. And I would say, you know, if I could sneak in a piece of advice unsolicited to anybody listening, um, the best way to create more value uh, for yourself and for your customers is through a scalable uh, product. It's not through services. And, um, And so if there's an opportunity for you to make those adjustments in your business and to tweak some things, I actually have found that it's much more successful to just dive into that and let your customers lead you in the product design than to try to hold on to consulting as a lifeline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a there was a drop dead date. Um, we had a few contracts that extended into early 2020, and I used that money to pay myself. But um, I there was a drop dead date. The end of Q1, I said no more projects, and we're just letting it go, and we'll, we'll see what happens. And yeah. we did not have funding. It was very bootstrapped and. Um, by funding, you know, the funding was like my credit cards and, uh, and some loans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can see how the pullback to like, well, I could always get this new consulting gig. I could all, you know, go back to the, my client XYZ. And, um, so I, that's 
pretty, again, brave of you to do that. So in another part of this is, you know, you weren't necessarily a technical co founder. So I think that'd be really good to dive into and um, that piece of it, you know, yeah. what, what were the steps you took um, to, to bring on partners to help you with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I would say, you know, the, the coding that I know is extremely basic. Um, and so I was not the one who built the project uh, or the, the product MVP even. Um, however, I was building spreadsheets and this, I, this is going to sound very kind of silly if you um, aren't, don't think about Excel as programming, but I had built a lot of really complicated spreadsheets that were helping me run my consulting anyway. And those became the backbone of the early MVP product. And so I would be willing to bet that a lot of consultants, a lot of service providers have built their own sort of intellectual property, and they're probably more technical than they would believe. Um, we, I was actually able to raise Edify's seed round without having a CTO on staff, in part because I knew my customers so well. I had right. spent you know, six and a half years just understanding the engineering team, the engineering leader ex so extensively that I could, I could probably tell you in my sleep what they feel on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and I had just tried for years to keep that person and that persona really close to me. And, um, so that was able to, I think, engender a lot of trust that I knew what I was talking about. And so if you, again, some unsolicited advice, if you are a non-technical, say non-engineering, um, I actually try to get away from that phrase non-technical, but if you're, let's say, a non-engineering founder, mm -hmm. the you should the first thing you should do is not go find, in my opinion, not go find a technical co-founder. It's to look at what you already have and see how can you leverage what you what you already have as the technical expertise in the business. Um, the other thing that I see happen a lot is people make poor decisions because they don't, if they aren't engineers, they don't know how to evaluate engineering talent. Hmm. And so you bring on a co-founder who isn't actually the right kind of person for an early stage startup. They don't have a bias for action. Or you bring on, you know, somebody to augment that team so that on paper it looks right and it becomes a, a, the, the wrong culture fit or the, the wrong kind of culture um, add if you want to build your business around that. Um, and so over time, it became really necessary for me to do that. So that seed raise allowed us to hire our CTO. Um, that's um, She's amazing. She lives in North Carolina. We chose to be fully remote. Um, and it allowed us to hire more, more engineers onto the product. That's really great advice. Uh, I think and it's changed a lot, too, probably in the past couple of years. So I think that's... Um, really helpful. So where, where's the business now? I mean, it's kind of like, I think once you made that shift, it sounds like as I've been following you and our mutual connection has been telling us, telling me about kind of the update on the business, things have really accelerated. So let's, let's yeah. talk about that. Absolutely. Things have moved very quickly. So we, um, I started our, our fundraise in the fall um, and then we closed our $2 million seed round as our first um, institutional investor round. Um, in early 2021, we joined Techstars Seattle and just graduated a few weeks ago uh, from from that. Um, and that, you know, in the truest sense, Techstars was an accelerant to our business. We were mm -hmm. uh, a lot of things came up about our ideal customer, the product, how we went to market that that changed. You know, for example, I was not I actually didn't have a sales hire in the plan for 2021. And it became really clear that in order to meet my goals, 
I needed to have a sales hire. Um, and so that probably wouldn't have come across my desk for several more months if we hadn't been in Techstars. And so what mm-hmm. that's allowed us to do is, is now we're a team of 10 people. And as of this recording, we're hiring three new people. Um, and we wow. have added a ton of new features to the product. We've added customers. We're experimenting with pricing models. Um, we just uh, went live on the Slack marketplace. And so anybody can try it. They don't have to come talk to me for a, a private demo. Um, cool. And so things have just really moved very quickly. It, it is actually, I mean, and very, I, I really do mean when I say when a day is like a week, um, mm. and I can sometimes forget what happened yesterday because today has been <laughs> packed. Um, and uh, it, but I wouldn't, I would not trade it. And I, um, I think if you can try really hard to work on priority prioritizing what you want, um, and being really serious about an MVP that will allow you to move much more quickly, um, and, and get something out in the world. It always kind of pains me when I find people that have been working on an idea for like a year or two or three or five sometimes, and they haven't put it out in front of their customers yet. And I think that's one thing that allowed Edify to move so quickly is that we let customers, help us build and design first um, and just gave them everything from the notebook sketch back in November of 2019 to the whiteboard sketches to the Figma prototype and the Bot Society prototype. Um, And we let them tell us this really sucks or this is Mm. great. Um, And that allowed us to make the right decisions for our customer much more quickly. Yeah, I think that's not to go back to the MVP, uh, but I think that's really valuable too, because I do see, you know, just a lot of people get hung up on that and, you know, it's going to help you find that product market fit so much faster. So congrats to you again. So we're, what's kind of next for the business in the short term? Obviously I don't, we, you know, yeah. Who knows what the long term is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the with, with um, anything, yeah, <laughs> so. especially in, in these days. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in the short term, we are focused on these three hires. Uh, we're adding a growth marketer, a product designer, and another senior engineer to the team. Um, we are shipping new features that go beyond onboarding. And so we'll have a, a product uh, in the next few months that is usable for the whole engineering team, which we're very excited about. That's stuff that our customers are asking for every day, and, and we're very excited mm-hmm. to be able to offer that. Um, and we, we will basically continue to build our go-to-market strategy and our product. Um, so this stage of, of any startup is really focused on product market fit and really making sure you are hearing the customer and building what they need and making sure that they like it, will stay with it, and will pay um, something that is commensurate with the value that the product offers to them. Yeah. Um, so that's really the experimentation and, and sort of shipping phase that we're in. Um and I think that's that's something that I also challenge a lot of other founders on is that um, you you should probably start pushing things out at 75% cooked or done. Um, so don't wait until you think it's 100 or 120% done. Um, just push it out, get the feedback, and then fix what's wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Because it is most likely that the the sort of 75% done is most of the, the issue. And it's I, I'm a big sort of 80-20 uh, Pareto principle believer. And so, um, I think that that helps you, helps you kind of move a lot faster. 
Um, so that's what will continue to be next for us is adding new features. We have a bunch of features that go beyond uh, onboarding into continuous learning and then further even into the engineering team lifecycle. Yeah. Well, let's, you know, as we kind of the last kind of part of the our chat, I always like to talk about Portland, but I want to tie it to like you, your decision to go remote first. Um, yeah. You know, we live in a great place. Uh, there's a lot of great talent here. Um, walk me through, you know, I, I kind of get a sense of why, but I'd love for you to tell why you went remote first and how that's, I know you're staffing up still, but how it's been so far. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, um, you know, <laughs> this is going to sound really selfish at first, but I am not somebody that likes to work in an office. And I spent the last six years, seven years now working from a variety of different places, um, but never a solid office that belonged to Edify. I actually did have a, a short office stint. I, I had an office in, uh, off on Flanders in um, Old Town for like mm -hmm. four months in 2019. Okay. okay. And I never showed up. It was a beautiful little space. Um, and I never showed up. And I realized, you know, I am, this company is going to be different. It's not going to be mostly me. It's going to be a lot of people. And it probably would look bad if the CEO never showed up to the office. Right. <laughs> and so there's that. And I think in truth, I started to ask questions about what's the return on the investment and what are we trying to achieve? I think, um, I would not say that remote first is for every company or every team. And I don't think you can make a blanket statement either way. Um, and just like how, you know, it was, of course, very popular to have an open office concept. Um, we sort of have started to come back from that and say, actually, that's not ideal for every team. And it's not ideal um, for every environment. Um, the same is true with remote. And just because you are remote doesn't mean uh, that you don't spend money on being in person sometimes. And so obviously, right. you know, Edify had like three months before COVID really hit uh, yeah. as this new iteration. And so, of course, we've been sort of forced to stay remote. And, and in fact, I've hired a bunch of people that I have never met in person. Um, in fact, uh, Danny, who's our new sales development rep, is the first person I have met that I've hired in COVID um, that I did not already know previously. And so it is uh, a decision that we've made primarily because we see a lot of value in people being able to work the way that they like to, the places that they like to work. Um, it allows them to be healthier, have a better balance for their mental health and their physical health. Um, and it allows us to save money and invest money in team retreats and in being in person. So actually for our team, uh, based on kind of how our team is, is feeling, uh, we're going to be able to get together in late June. And so everybody will come to Portland. Um, and so that, cool. that will be an excellent experience for us. Um, it'll be the first time that many of us are meeting each other for the first time in person. Um, yeah. And so I think that's going to be our shift is really post COVID is two to three times a year having the really nice week long sort of summit and celebration with our team and getting some high value collaborative work done and then being able to spread back out into our workspaces. Mm -hmm. And of course you're going to trick them because you're going to bring them here during the summer. We should move here. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, well, Kristen, I'm really excited to follow along. I would love to, you know, touch base again uh, in a year or so when I'm sure the business will be, who knows, uh, we yeah. exploding. Uh, where can people, you know, find out more about the company, more about you, more about your team? 
Absolutely. We would love for you to check out our open roles right now. Uh, even try the product. Um, we Everybody tries the product for free. You get a first free month um, on the house and that you can find at getedify.co. Um, so you can read our blog there. You can see our open roles, um, which we're recruiting for nationally now, um, as well as try the product. Well, Kristen, thanks so much. Thank you, Dan. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of That Cast a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well. 